Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team from an unknown location somewhere welcome to the gym day podcast well here we go again another edition of the gym day podcast thanks for checking us out and if you could help us spread the word once again about this podcast we would so much appreciate it and wherever you are listening i hope everything is good in your world. Everything good on this end. We're off to a good start here on the Gym Day podcast. We're going to go round two with Bronson Arroyo here in just moments. Hope you enjoyed episode one and check out our archives. Marty Brenneman, couple of episodes with him, Scooter Jeanette, Bob Kovoyan, legendary appearance by Sean Casey. And here we go with round two once again with Bronson Arroyo. Now, if wherever you're listening, whatever your podcast device is, particularly on iTunes because they take ratings. Now, this will help the longevity of this podcast. If you like what you hear, and I'm assuming you do since you're checking us out again, or if you're checking us out for the first time, again, go back into the archives, and if you like what you hear, go on there and give us a little rating. Five-star rating would be oh so nice. If you could leave some nice comments, that would be great. It will help the longevity and the future of this podcast, and we do hope to take this thing into the future we're proud to be on the mlb platform and reds.com and all the big podcasting devices out there so uh we're just getting rolling and we hope the future is bright on this podcast you can follow along with me on twitter and instagram at jim day tv is where you find me there and uh, you'll get updates on this podcast uh, probably too many updates i tend to uh it's a grassroots movement for this thing, so try to let people know that it exists. Um, so you'll see lots of tweets and Instagram posts about it uh, going on, so I um, hope you can put up with that. And my little comments throughout the day, or not every day, but when I feel it's warranted. And do like to take the fans behind the scenes when I can um, at MLB games. Take you places where you can't be. So I uh, hope you follow along. All right, now coming up here with Bronson Arroyo, episode one, as usual, very enlightening with Bronson. I mean, when is it not with this guy? Uh, he's one of the most engaging guys I've ever come across and had some fun things to, to talk about and some stories to tell. And uh, I still marvel about his burn rate, asking his financial guy, dude, what's my burn rate? How much money can I burn through each month? Uh, which was great. 
Johnny Damon running around the clubhouse naked before games. The Kevin Millar story about wearing hazmat gear, trying to avoid Kurt Schilling's underwear. Classic. Again, if you're just joining us, check out episode one. Here in episode two, or part two with Bronson, um, we'll start talking about his love for Cincinnati. We'll go back to 2012, which to me was a legitimate year. That was the year it was all in place. The Reds really had the team that could have won the World Series. And they had a two games and none lead on the San Francisco Giants in the playoffs. Had to just win one of three games in Cincinnati. And it didn't happen. Um, and how painful was it for Bronson to go through and, and be one of the five starters that went through the whole season that year? Um, and we'll talk about the bitterness of a trade. When he first got traded from the Red Sox to Cincinnati, it was, it was culture shock. And we'll talk about bitterness that turned into a blessing who are his favorite teammates and a lot of people say hey Bronson Arroyo man he would make a great coach what a great pitching coach he would be well is coaching in his future I ask him that question and I put out a feeler we're going to talk about music here I want a Jim Day podcast theme so if you ever see Bronson say hey you got that little jingle for the Jim Day podcast yet just just bug him a little bit, and we'll talk about that coming up. And we'll delve deep into his friendship with Eddie Vedder. And the night that he called him on stage by total surprise, put Bronson on the spot and pressed him into duty. And then a gift that Eddie Vedder gave to Bronson Arroyo. And it's really awesome. It's a gift. It's a very ordinary item that is turned into a prized possession that equals his World Series ring that he got with the Boston Red Sox. And a line that Eddie Vedder dropped on him in classic Eddie Vedder fashion, this otherwise fairly ordinary writing utensil. What am I talking about? You're about to find out. And the perfect storm of playing with Pearl Jam on stage, sold out Fenway Park. How it was a perfect storm and how Bronson owned one of the moments because of Eddie Vedder. Let's get into it. Hope you enjoy it. It's part two of our conversation with Bronson Arroyo right here on the Jim Day Podcast. Now, you won a, a World Series championship in Boston and um, you know brought a world championship to Boston, which they had been waiting for for so long. Um, so you already had that in your past, but in 2012, you have – Five starters that make every start outside of a double header, which they had to bring in an extra guy, which doesn't count in my eyes. You had five guys that made every start. Literally had the team to win it all, at least in my estimation with that, that pitching. You got a 2-0 lead on San Francisco out there, best of five. You got to win one of three games in Cincinnati. Even though you had won a world championship, does 2012 sting? Oh, absolutely! Listen, it, you know it's kind of it's kind of like it's kind of like money in a way. You know, I could give you I can give you a job making 
$50,000 a year and, you, and you're used to making thirty five, and you think, I never need to make another dollar in my life. $50,000 job is the best that, that I'll possibly ever want. And two years later, I'll look at you and you'll say, man, if it was just 60, if it was just 60, I'd have the perfect. And when you get to 60, you say, if it's just 75, it'd be perfect, right? It just yeah. never ends. We're just greedy that way. Right. And every baseball season that goes by is the same thing. You get put in these playoff positions. It's such a long season. There's only eight teams, you know, basically that are playing in the playoffs against each other. And it doesn't happen all the time. Guys like Ken Griffey Jr. played for 20 years and, and you know, only got to go to the playoffs once. Right. And that was at the very end. So, you know, um, 2012 just felt like, you know, you're back in 04. It didn't make any difference. It didn't matter that I was playing for a different team and that we hadn't won the World Series in, um, you know, 86 years. It, you're in the middle of this thing. You, you started it in spring training with a group of guys that you don't know where this train is going to end up. And you're now seeing maybe the finish line and the one finish line that everybody wants, which is that ring. And so all those games matter so much. You, you, you live for September, October when the, when the weather changes and you're out in the field taking batting practice and there's smoke coming out of your mouth because it's cold out and there's ESPN and MLB net and they got those little shields there and they can hear you talking all the way with Matt Latos and left center field right. during batting practice, right? You just live for that. And, and, the, and there's a buzz just in batting practice, much less in the game. And so, yeah, I mean, that was, it was terrible. You know, I, after game three, I went across the street to Holy Grail and played maybe eight or 10 songs that night. And I thought, you know, we're going to be all right. We lost this one. I was hoping we'd win it and it, I would have been over there playing after we clinched, but we yeah. didn't Homer threw a great game and we got beat, um, really close. But, uh, you know, you never, you never forget, you never forget being that close to winning a ring because like I said, there's so many guys who've played the game who don't have a world series ring that it just, it's never enough. If you ask Chris Sale right now and you ask Mookie Betts what they're thinking about right now, they are not thinking about their ring they already have. They're thinking about the one from 2019. They want another one, and they're hungry, and they're greedy for it. And I got to imagine that Joe Morgan and Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and Concepcion felt the same way in 77 after they had already won it in 75 and in 76. They probably thought, let's go get another one, right? Because it's yeah. just what we do. Yeah. It's a, when you ask athletes at the highest level – um, they usually the, the ones that stick out are the failures uh, that more than the successes. So it's very interesting in that way. But when you when you first were sent over to Cincinnati, um, knowing you, I mean, if people were to look at you and think, all right, big city guy. I mean, this dude like this big city guy. Cincinnati, Ohio, not necessarily, at least initially, you think, well, that's that's not going to work out well for Bronson or Royal. But somehow it did. Yeah. What are your feelings of Cincinnati? Oh, I love the place. No doubt about it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm there half the year now. I live yeah. with my girlfriend in Villa Hills, Kentucky. And, and um, you know, I'm back and forth between that and my hometown in Florida. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a creature of habit, first and foremost. I always was. And part of that was probably, you know, my father being so regimented with us going to the weight room and doing the baseball thing that I, I really enjoy routine. And that's why it was so easy for me to stay in the game so long and not get mentally burned out. When other guys were thinking about going to the Bahamas in August, I was thinking I was going to win four more games and I was coming in on an off day and spending four hours at the stadium with nobody else around but me messing around, hitting the batting cage or lifting weights and taking a nap, whatever, whatever. I just enjoyed being there, you know. But, um, you know, 
I'm kind of a mixed bag because I, I grew up in a small town. Key West was small, and, and where I live in Brooksville, Florida, is a really small kind of redneck town. So, you know, people could observe me being a guy who liked being out and he played the guitar and maybe he dresses a certain way or whatever. But I was, I'm not really a big city guy, even yeah. though I could, you know, I've, I've always... Yeah, been, I was talking about what people would think. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I could always be, you know, I could always be... Um, a little hard to read in that way. I can remember one time I was in the minor leagues and somebody was talking about hunting or something. I think I said something about camping out or something. And they like, you, what? Come on, man. You can put highlights in your hair, bro. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know, like they, 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 they want to put you in one box, but I've always yeah. been a mixed bag and could kind of go across the board. But I think in, in my perfect world, a city like Cincinnati, the size of Cincinnati is probably my sweet spot because, you know, I, I, I don't like a super small town, but I, but I take super small versus New York City. I don't like super hustle bustle. I don't like a lot of traffic um, in Cincinnati, but it offers the flavors and the t and, and the feel of a big city. You've got right. some high rise. You've got nice restaurants. You've got you know three major sports. Um, you've got good music acts that come through there, so you can get that that big city vibe and you can get a great steak, but you don't um, necessarily have to deal with two hours of traffic like you do in L.A. And so, you know, after being there for a short amount of time, I'd say it took me. It took me the first two months of the season of 06 to stop watching Red Sox games. I was so ingrained into that team that it yeah. just literally ripped me out of my home. And I, and I felt like, um, you know, I was so frustrated that I was kind of, you know, I was, I was there focused while I was playing. But then I would go watch a Red Sox game and, or at least check the highlights because those are your people. Those are, that was my family. Right. And so, um, but then as I started having success and then you start getting immersed in your own locker room. And, you know, it's a natural thing to just kind of migrate away from the old and, and into the new. And so then after being there for eight straight seasons through 2013, you know, that felt like home again. And I was very disappointed that I didn't get to stay there for 14 and 15. Right. Favorite teammates. I'm sure you've answered this question a lot. Um, but if I ask you favorite teammates, um, who are the guys that come to mind and why? Well, the guys that, the guys that always come to mind first um, are catchers because those are the guys you're really at war with, right? They're in the trench with you. And um, because of that, because of what's going on between your guys' mind, he's trying to guess what I want to throw, and, and, and he's trying to figure out the game, and we're doing this thing together. You always feel very connected. So, you know, Jason Baratek, Ryan Hannigan, David Ross, I'd say are the three guys who really got to, 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 um, to be with me a lot and, mm -hmm. and think along those lines. You know, Kevin Millar was a favorite um, you know, Johnny Damon, Curtis Laskanik, uh, Mike Leak. Um, you know, this it's hard. It's hard. To, you know, I I've been a likable guy in a locker room. You know, I think one one I think one of the one of the the greatest compliments anybody ever said about me. I was with Ryan Ludwig in the Ritz Carlton in Arizona in 2013, I believe, and he and he said, you know, I wish I wish I would have hung with you a little bit more this year. I didn't know you before I got here. And we've had a good time here in the last couple of months or whatever. And he said, you know, it's very strange. My wife, my wife said, why do you want to hang with Bronson? Isn't he a partier? And he said, you know, I'm not really sure. I see him out a lot, but I never see him with a drink, you know. So I'm not really sure if he's a party or not. He's very social. Um, but he said, I, I've been in this locker room now for four or five months, and I haven't heard anybody say anything negative about you. And he said, that's very rare to be in a locker room for an entire season and not have somebody say something about someone on the negative side. And so, 
you know, I, I've enjoyed giving love to my teammates and kindness and delivering things other people couldn't deliver and being attentive to details and stuff. So, you know, when I think about my, my favorite teammates, it's really hard because to be honest with you, there's so many guys. I mean, Zach Cozart and Devin Mezzarocco and, um, you know, Homer Bailey. And I mean, just everybody that you kind of were with for so many years, you know, these are all just great guys to, to, to hang out with. And um, yeah. I really enjoyed them. But I've, I think if I had to be on an island and you say you can pick – three or four guys and you're going to hang out with them. David Ross and Ryan Hannigan are, 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 are the pretty much probably the top two. And, um, and also the guys that I was really close with, like those two guys were also my speed off the field. Right. Not only were we connected on the field, but they also were the types of guys who enjoyed going out and a little bit of nightlife, but not taking it to the extreme where they were putting themselves in a compromised position to, to suffer on the field and not have their performance be excellent. And so, um, you know, and they loved a little bit of music. I, I mean, I used to be in rooms with David playing my acoustic guitar and he'd have these stupid uh, 80s rap songs. He'd be ripping out and, and with, going with the dance David moves. Ross? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, he just, <laughs> you know, this kind of these shenanigans, it was just great. And, and I think uh, th those are the, you know, a lot of times those are the memories you have of guys is, is the guys that you really connect with um, personality-wise. And a lot of times that takes you off the field a bit. Everyone says... Wow, he'd be a great pitching coach, and he's gonna go into coaching one day. And then I, I always tell them, I don't see it, and they're like, "What? What are you talking about?" You ask him a question, he's so honest and he's so insightful, which you are, and you're so intelligent. And I'm like, I don't see it. And I saw it last year where Brian Price brought you into spring camp, and I don't know how long you were supposed to be there, but I know that you didn't make it <laughs> that length because right. I could see it in your eyes. You're like. This is terrible. How do these coaches do this from way early in the morning? And I'm just standing here and I'm bored to death. Were you not? Am I yeah. reading that right? No, absolutely. Yeah. I you know, listen, Dick Williams and um, you know, David Bell, they they both we had conversations before spring this year and text messages back and forth. And they just asked me, Would you want to come out and do anything? Just let us know what you want to do. How long do you want to be here? Would you stay for a week? Would you help do X, Y, and Z, hold meetings? And I just said, Listen, guys, I said last year I was supposed to be there for about a week. I said I ran a couple of meetings for Brian Price, which I thoroughly enjoyed because if you mm -hmm. want to talk to some young guys about details of how to be a professional, I know there's some things in my brain that they're not going to hear from anybody else and I could really help them. And I, I enjoyed that. But standing out on that field with a uniform on and watching everybody else take pitchers fielding practice and me just standing there talking to Eric Davis and we're not doing anything was just not my cup of tea. And I could be up in Flagstaff snow skiing. I could be playing golf up the street at any golf course around here. I could be you know, doing so many other things. And, and so I started, I, you find myself migrating away from the field and being over with the clubhouse guys, cleaning the shoes yeah. and stuff. And they'd be like, Hey, Bronson, get out here, man. Barry Larkin's yelling at me like, man, come on, when you gonna put on that uniform for good. And I'm just thinking, I just don't know if this is my cup of tea, man. I could just see it, man. I could see that this is not happening. Now, who knows in the future, maybe you get the itch and you're away from the game. You want a taste of it. I don't right. know, but uh, I would always surprise people when they'd ask me. I'm like, no, I, I just I don't see coaching uh, in his future. I, I just don't think it's going to be him. Now, as far as like just showing up at spring training and maybe working with an individual guy, imparting some wisdom and stuff like that on a limited basis, yeah. But in a full time coach, no. Nah, yeah. I, well, I you don't know, see the it. other thing too is it, is is it's so. You know, I, I don't like to, I don't like to, if you're talking about something that you feel like you can make an impact on, you don't want to kind of half-ass it, right? So you want to, you want to really be there. And so if I, if I could rip myself into multiple Bronson Arroyos, you know, if I could have four of myself, 
Yeah, I'd go all in, no doubt. I'd love to be a big league pitching coach. If I had three more more of myself, one would be snow skiing, one would be playing music, and the other one <laughs> it doesn't whatever. work that way. But it doesn't work that way, right? Yeah. So the point is, I have to choose how my time is going to be spent in the in the second half, basically, of my life. I mean, the average the average male in America, you know, was life expectancy is right at about eighty, maybe seventy eight to eighty. So if we're going by those numbers, I mean, I'm half done. Right. I'm half done. So if you want me to put another 20 years into the game and then look outside of that and try to go do all these other things that maybe I want to do when you now your knees and your back can't take it or you've got prostate cancer. It's like, you know, I just don't think that's the that's the most efficient way to slice the pie with my time. And so that's the only reason that I that I don't know. I mean, would I love to to be at that park every single day and hang out with these guys and and really dig into like how we're going to freaking win a division? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do it if, like I said. There was more than one of me. Right. Which is not possible. Um, what about broadcasting on a limited basis? That would be more that would be more inviting because um, you know, you could kind of pick and choose the dates and it wouldn't necessarily have yeah. to be and you also don't have to be out on the field, so you guys are not quite as indebted time wise right. as the as the coaches are. Um, would you want to be a studio guy or you want to be in the booth calling games? I think watching the games would be more enjoyable. Yeah. I don't think talking about the games afterwards would be quite as nice because you don't get to talk in as much detail. It seems like mm-hmm. the time frame is a little bit um, more constricted right. after the games. When when I watch you know, you on the air and you guys are doing play-by-play, you really get to methodically, depending on the flow of the game, you get to methodically describe some things. And I, you know... I know a lot of I think John Smoltz probably gets some some static a little bit for the way that he goes about his business but he's very detail oriented oh, yeah. about the way he talks about the game and mm-hmm. he's 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 talking from an insight that the average fan does not get to tap into from any Right. announcer right he's talking about pitching on a level you know he's a hall of famer and a guy who just made it happen and has seen everything you're ever going to see in this game for the most part and so i would enjoy doing that i think more than anything and, and i and i would definitely never rule that out but i think that would come before the coaching yeah well we always have a spot for you by the way in the uh reds tv booth appreciate so it. we'll just move welshy over a little bit <laughs> You know, we'll have a righty lefty combination. Well, we'll move. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll move Welsh over until until we catch up with him in the golf game. Cause oh, yeah, we you've talking, experienced we were talking about that. the golf game, man. Oh he, my, the, he's a player. He boy. can play now. He can I play, know. and he he loves to uh, weasel you into games uh, that involve money at the end. Yeah, well, and <laughs> that's not. I, I played out here at DC Ranch with him and my banker, and they yeah. went seventy four seventy five, and yeah. I and I was not even in that discussion. Right. And so. he wants to play. I mean, if he if there were tees beyond the back tip. You know, right, the tips, right, right. as they say, the back tees. If there were ones back further, he would want to play those. Right. So I'm like, I don't want to play the tips. That's no fun to me. Right. I don't want my second shot to be right. 180 every right. time. Right. So Or 230, yeah. Yeah. So, you know. But the, the funniest thing is when we get on the cor- golf course with him and Cowboy, Cowboy's really competitive, and he's had a bad shoulder. And, you know, I'm not sure he knew how good Welsh was at golfing. Right. So, you know, Cowboy would be that after a hole, be like, I'm, I'm doubling down. Or they, you oh, know, he's pressing him oh, every he's other pressing hole. him every other. I'm like, cowboy, stop! Just stop oh, right now! Don't do that. You know, or it's, you know, it's two thirty to to clear the water, and he's like, I'm going for it. I can come out here to lay up, and I'm like, don't, <laughs> you're, you're, you know, come on, cowboy. So those guys going at it on the golf courses is great. Two scoops of ice cream is enough, cowboy. Don't go for the third one, son. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. uh I appreciate your time doing this. I, I want I I can't not talk about music. Um, we've talked a lot about baseball, but 
music is the other half of your life. Well, actually more now that you're out of the game. When did you start playing guitar? When did you get the itch? Well, I, I, I think, you know, in, in my family, music was very prevalent. My grandmother was a music teacher for about 70 years down in the Keys. Wow. And when I was a young kid, I would go to her house after school sometimes and there would be any there would be a range of people anywhere from 6 years old to 70 years old coming in to play the cello, the violin and the piano. There wasn't really any guitar players that I saw in there even though there was a couple of guitars and she tried to teach me violin and it just didn't resonate with me but everyone in my house my, my sister and my mother played the piano they sang everybody was singing harmonies my father was a singer in a band in high school and after high school into his 20s playing in bars and he played a little bit of drums and he played the piano as well so there was it was always around me but it literally I, I never even took a second look at it it was just it was just there and, and it wasn't something I focused on but around uh ninth grade probably 1992 93 start hearing Stone Temple Pilots you hear Nirvana you hear Pearl Jam and those those bands there was something about the the the, the grittiness and the kind of the darkness in the music that that resonated with me for some reason i don't know why because i was an optimistic guy and always have been but it just it just felt good it felt real it felt like it was coming from mm -hmm. a different place i'd been listening to the mamas and the papas and the beatles and credence clearwater and all the oldies like billy joel and, and the beatles in the weight room with my father and i enjoyed all of that but it didn't give me goosebumps and that stuff from the early 90s did and so i started thinking about music a little bit more and started i think i started probably singing in the shower a little bit just kind of here and there just a little bit and then i'm in double a i'm 22 in 1999 and somebody gave me an acoustic guitar and that's when it was the first time that i thought okay i'm gonna i'm gonna give this a shot and see if i can play it and i really hadn't even sang anything up to that point mm -hmm. maybe, maybe i'd sang karaoke a couple of times maybe um and then i i just started picking it up and started playing creed songs i mean what's this life for was the first song that i had learned and and there was these little moments when a light bulb would go off in my head and it would take months and months to figure out one song, even looking at the tablature, because nobody was showing me anything. Yeah. And to figure out what a bar G was versus a regular G, I had no idea that you could play a G in more than one way. And as these light bulbs were going off, I'm kind of figuring it out. And then once my fingers got comfortable enough to not have to think about the changes and I could play a song from front to back and I could start singing along, then it started becoming really in in my blood you know where it just felt like if i if i didn't play and sing that it was starting to bother me and as years have gone on it's gotten worse and worse and worse and now you know it's like if i if i'm somewhere and don't have a guitar for two or three days it's driving me crazy i mean driving me mad to not have the ability to sing i don't love playing the guitar i just like to sing right and so you know and i haven't been trained in really in any way you know and i've got kind of a dirty gritty 90s rock voice not because i really worked on it, it was just kind of what it was and that's somehow that was the music i enjoyed luckily those kind of matched up or if i had like a really maybe clean uh you know american idol voice or somebody who could sing the national anthem you know then maybe i wouldn't be able to sing those types of songs and i would have migrated to some other kind of music but for whatever reason my voice matched the stuff that i really loved listening to and then you know you just start working on the craft and as i could see my baseball career winding down i was immersing myself a little bit more and a little bit more into that world because there, i knew there was going to I was going to need something to get a buzz out of life when I wasn't going to be able to get on the mound and, and feel that adrenaline anymore. When did you first play live in front of people and how nervous were you? <laughs> 2003. So mm -hmm. I, I picked up the guitar in 99. So we're talking four years in. And by then I'm still, I've only played at, uh, 
around the house, and I played at one open mic night in spring training with the Red Sox that John Lester had just been drafted. And he was, it was me, my agent, and John Lester at this little bar called Manatees wow. at, at uh, the Bell Tower in, in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. And I played maybe five songs that day. That was the first time. And that wasn't too bad, just sitting on a stool and nobody really paying attention. Yeah. But 2003 comes, and I'm at Hot Stove Cool Music for Peter Gammons and Theo Epstein. And there's a bunch of bands that are just ripping on the stage and you're in a hot, dirty rock club. And, and Peter Gammons asked me if I wanted to play a song. He said, don't you play the guitar? And I said, yeah. And Peter Gammons can flat out play. Yeah. Yeah. And he, so he asked me if I wanted to play a song. And I said, sure. So I, I grabbed uh, Jack McDowell's uh, beautiful yellow Stratocaster, I think it was. And, um, and I went up there and played Black by Pearl Jam. And I invited Kevin Millar on the stage because Kevin was always acting like he loved music and that he knew every word to every song. But what I didn't realize was he, he he really couldn't sing and he didn't know the words. He was so after about after about the half of the I first hope he verse, hears this by the oh, way. Oh, he knows. He knows. <laughs> so ha- after half the first verse, he just quit singing and then I finished the song up. But I was I was totally nervous, especially playing the guitar. And if I was just singing, it would have been a little bit easier. But even then, you know, I mean, the, people don't realize what a gradual evolution it is to get comfortable at doing something. Yeah. I'm just now getting comfortable enough to feel like I could actually have a band behind me go on a stage in front of two or three hundred people and feel like I could semi-command the stage. Oh, yeah, it takes you know a I mean? long time. Oh, it takes a long time to get comfortable doing these things. People don't realize you play the guitar sitting down, you stand up, totally different ballgame. Play the guitar standing up and you have to keep your mouth on the microphone and not be able to look down at the guitar as often, totally different, right? I mean, there's all the, now people are watching you. It's a, it's a whole different ballgame and it's the same way with pitching. You pitch at home. Part of the reason why I think I stayed healthy all those years was because most guys would come to camp, in my estimation, not quite in good enough shape or coming out of the box too fast. You leave your house and you've been throwing bullpens at home, sure, you feel fine. You come to spring training on day one, you now have a bunch of people watching you with media, cameras, and everybody else is throwing around you. So yesterday I watched Sonny Gray throw, right? He's pitching. Well, now his adrenaline's going up a little bit. I'm a new guy in town. I'm supposed to be a stud. They're paying me a lot of money. So you start letting it go a little bit more, right? And then you go out on the field and you pitch two innings in a game. That's another level. Now you got to get to seven innings, a whole another level. Now you put yourself in a real big league game where the TVs are there and you're playing against the Yankees and it matters. And this, these stats actually stay on the back of your card forever. Whole another level. So yeah. they're very similar in that way. And people don't realize that you cannot jump from just pitching at home and thinking, oh, I'm fantastic or playing your guitar around the campfire to jumping on the stage and doing the same thing. There's a whole art and a craft of how to suppress the adrenaline and all these things that come along with it. And I'm just now tapping into that musically. You've played covers, you know, a lot of Pearl Jam stuff, a lot of the music that you talked about. Um, Now that you have more time and you have evolved and you say you're feeling comfortable, are you thought about trying to write, doing some original stuff? Yeah, so I've been writing for the last year. Probably, and it comes in waves. You know, there's times when you catch a little wave of inspiration for some reason, and you and you and you bang out two songs, and it feels great. I think I've, I've, I don't have them all buttoned up, but I'm. Pro- I think I've written 16 songs in the last year with Elliot Sloan from Blessed Union of Souls in Cincinnati, uh, a kid named Chris Lambert, and then some guys in L.A. Um, that I've known for 15 years that that I play music with as well. So I've kind of got two bands, and the guys in L.A. are going to wind up being the original band, and the guys in Cincy are who I play um, the covers with. And, um, you know, it's great because it's given me the opportunity now to, to have a band that if a, if a charity asks us to do something or we need to play something on the fly, I've got the guys in Cincinnati. We can rip out two hours of music, no problem, and the, and the, band, the band sounds great. And then um, with this new stuff, I'm trying to find a way to finish songs, and it's been very hard. You know, that's a whole craft in itself, at finishing songs, but I'm finishing them, and, and you tend to listen to them back, you know, weeks later, months later. 
and going, okay, that isn't too bad. That isn't too bad. Or that one needs a little work. Or and, and I'm having a good time because now I'm getting to tap into a lot of musical friends that I've met along the way. Um, singer-songwriters from Boston and guys like Mike Mushock from Stained. I get to go now back and not just be like, hey, let's hang out. But hey, I'm going to come to your house, man. And I've got these two songs and they need a bridge. Yeah. And I need to finish these. Will you help me? And so I'm getting a chance to to reconnect with some of these people in a different way and try to make these um, songs um, complete and feel good enough that I can make a record hopefully in the next year. Um, and I have no idea where it'll go. I really don't even care. I just care that this round LP vinyl record I could put down on the record player and put the needle on it and say, hey, I made that. You know? Right. No, absolutely. And by the way, we're I'm early in, on in this podcast, the Jim Day podcast needs a theme song, Bronson. So I don't know, you know, while you're sitting around the campfire or you're trying to some original stuff or you got a riff, maybe. Uh, what kind of song are we talking about? Oh, like anything, how, how, man. How can, jingly and hokey to, or can it be? It's wherever you want to take it. Anywhere, huh? Anywhere you want to take it. But this is just a short little clip, right? Short just little right? clip, man. I need like, you know, 30 seconds or something. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm going to bounce that off Elliot Sloan from Blessed Union and we're going to come up with something. There you go. We're, and then it'll be played every time that we come on. It could be poking fun at me. It could be just total rock. You know, you know, I'm a rock guy. Yeah, too. we're gonna get a good we're, riff. We're, we'll be, get a good guitar rock riff, and then maybe we'll throw a little little humor in there. There you go, some humor. It's the uh, <laughs> the Jim Day podcast. If you could put that in the chorus somehow. There we go. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll I like it. it. I like it. Hey, let's do it. I had had to throw that out there. Um, your friendship with Eddie Vedder. Um, you good on time, by the way? You yeah. all right? All right. Um, your friendship with Eddie Vedder. Um, I'm not sure I've ever been more jealous of a person in my life. Um, big Pearl Jam fan here as well. And he's just a, a, a special guy, as you found out. Um, where does that rank on your in your life of how special that is to you? It, pr- pretty close to the top, you know. And, 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 and that, that's saying that I'm not that good of friends with Ed. Right. right. So he um, has a lot of people pulling at him. He's got a million things to do as, as I do, you know, and I, I do not rank anywhere near the top of his friendships. I right. mean, just from just from people I know, Kerry Wood, um, Sean Casey and Theo Epstein absolutely rank way higher on his friendship list than, than mine. If I if I ask Ed to come to my house in Florida, it's not happening. If uh, Sean Casey asked him to come to Pittsburgh, it might happen. Right. And, and so there's, there's different levels of, of how cl- close he is to guys. But as far as how special he has been in my life and how much he has driven me in the weight room and how much, you know, that first record really has been a part of my life and still is mm-hmm. almost every day, almost every single day. If I'm not thinking about a song on that record, I'm singing it in the basement to keep my voice in shape because it's also some of the hardest songs on the planet to sing, at least from the stuff that I do right. keeps me in shape. Um, you know, he, he is a person that I would say I'm friends with and, um, is absolutely a hero to me, you know? And, um, you know, it's hard to say that about people, you know, in your life, it's, it's very few and far between probably that you would have an external person that was not family that you thought of as a hero, as a kid that you would meet who would live up to the expectations and, um, you know, you'd be able to pick up the phone and have a conversation with that right. person. And so it's been, it's been fantastic, you know, and, I, and, and if, I, if I never ever saw him or talked to him ever again, you know, I would have been, and I've told him this, you know, like he's given me, he's given me just 
you know, his ukulele book that he's wrote a beautiful story in. And he's had me on stage twice. Um, you know, he gave me this pen that he wrote this beautiful. You got to tell little, the story of the pen, man. Yeah. The, so I was, I was in, so before I had his cell phone number, I was, um, I was going to go to a solo show. I didn't know what the show would be like. And it was actually a girl from Cincinnati that I had met years earlier who was a much bigger Pearl Jam fan than I ever could be. She was in the 10 club since she was a little girl. And I, and I, and I said, one day I'll get you to meet Ed. And so he, um, it, I say, fly down, meet me in Orlando. We're going to go to the show. So before the show, though, I ran into um, his wife and his wife's uh, brother. And he was a big Red Sox fan. And he, at, he said, aren't you Bronson Arroyo? And at this restaurant, mm-hmm. I said, yeah. And he said, do you know Jill, Eddie's wife? And I said, no, I don't know her. But I know who she is. I, I would know her by sight just from knowing enough about Eddie's life. And and um, and um, so we had this conversation, and I wind up giving him a jersey, I think, sometime later down the road. But uh, we go to the show, and that's the night he calls me out of the crowd. And he just says he, he does about an hour and a half. He finishes with porch, and he goes off, and he comes back for the first encore, and he says – you know, I've got a friend, I got a buddy in the crowd, Mr. Bronson Roy from the Cincinnati Reds. Why don't you come up to the stage? So I just And you had no idea. I had no idea. I had not spoken oh. to him that day at all. Um the tour manager had left me the tickets, but I yeah. I didn't know if he knew I was there. And so I shimmied out of my seat as you would like a like a twelve year old boy at a movie theater if you were stuck in the middle and you needed to go to the bathroom. And I'm shimmying past all these people's knees. And then I walk up to the stage and the stage was about up to my neck. And the security came around the corner and he said he, and he was flashing a light to show me where the stairs were. And I just like I just floated up on the stage with my hand. I just like popped up on it, you know. I mean, for one, you got a little bit of adrenaline going and, oh, and yeah. I was used to that anyway. So I just popped up on the stage and he he just stepped away from the microphone and he said, You know how to play black? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'll get you in two songs. I said, oh, wow. So I went off the side of the stage and he had a guitar tech there who is Pearl Jam's uh, bass tech at the the big shows for Jeff Ament. Um, His name is George Webb. And uh, Sean Casey had told me earlier in the day, if you run into George, tell him I said hi. So I said, cool. First off, I said, uh, Sean Casey told me to tell you, hi, George. Nice to meet you. And I said, what's he doing? He said, what do you mean? I said, is he playing with me? Is he not playing with me? I mean, what's going on here? And he goes, I have no idea. He goes, he doesn't play those songs. He doesn't play Even Flow Alive, Jeremy by himself. He usually only plays the songs that he wrote the music and the words to. A lot of those early hits are, for one, not conducive to an acoustic guitar, but Stone wrote all the, the guitar parts. So he doesn't generally do as many of those. And so... He said, I've never heard him play black except for one time on a piano because a lady gave him $5,000 on the spot for charity. So so two songs go by. He finishes Unthought Known, and he calls me out, and I go out on that stage, and I have all this on video and audio now. Yeah. And uh, luckily, there was somebody with a good camera in the house, and then they were gracious enough to give me the audio off the board. Well, go out. He tells a story about hearing, reading an article that I played at Holy Grail after the loss of Game 3 in 2012 against the Giants and that I had played black. So he said, he tells this story. He said, I didn't hear it and I didn't see it, but you know, I just figured we'd, we'd duplicate it for you guys tonight. And then he went on to talk about his charity and he turned on his campfire on the stage. He said, I forgot to turn the campfire back on and it would really help if you guys would sing along with us. And he said, you're up brother. And I just started playing. I just started playing the beginning of black. And, uh, you which wa- is one of the most iconic song, not only rock songs, but Pearl Jam, if you're going to list the top songs. Yes, it's going to be in the top 10 for it's sure. It's going to be Probably in the, the top, top five. Yeah, absolutely. 
And and it was my favorite song since 1992 when I heard the thing. It's not easy to play. It's a it, it, the verses are a little weird because you're skipping yeah. strings and you're playing this kind of a strange E and A. Right. And I started playing it. Luckily, I had the guitar in my hand, a guitar in my hand, a few minutes before, like a minute, two minutes before I went on the stage, so I could just kind of just refresh real fast, make sure you make it sound decent. And so I start playing it, and you watch his face, and he's looking at me as if is he going to be able to pull this off? And then he just then turns and starts with the beginning of the singing, and after that he just flows. What was that moment like where he looks over at you and he has no idea whether you can play? You, he's to, you've told him you can play. He has no idea. But no, he really the, the look where he said, "Oh, okay." He, yeah, he got I, this. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't see the look. Oh, I was okay. too focused on the guitar at the time. You're going <laughs> to see it back. At the neck. Yeah, I'm looking at the neck of the guitar, yeah. making sure we get this right. And you know, there was nothing to hide behind. It wasn't like playing with the whole band. When I played with the whole band, I could do anything. You wasn't. Oh yeah, mess no, up. you're you're the only but guitar. You, yeah, you're you're flying on a, on a rope with no with no net under you, and so. Um, he, he sings a song and he gets through it and it was fantastic. And uh, I didn't get to appreciate it and enjoy it as much in the moment. Cause I was by myself playing the guitar and, and I didn't want to mess it up, but, um, you know, you're just trying to keep good time with him and make sure that the, the, how I'm strumming it is the vibe that he wants and, right. and so forth. So at the end of, at the end of it, you see him and he says bye and he hands me this envelope. And at the end of the night, uh, we were hanging a bit and I went back to the hotel room and I'd forgot that he gave me that envelope and I pulled it out of my back pocket and it was this. Uh, it was a, it was a little envelope and it said Bronson on it opened up and it was a small piece of uh, white paper that said EV dot on the top. It was like some some, you know, letterhead stationary. It was yeah. some stationary for him. Exactly. And it was a small like little piece of paper. It wasn't as big as a normal eight by 11 or whatever, just a little tighter. And it was nice, crisp piece of paper. And his handwriting is just like a work of art. Absolutely beautiful. But he, he works on it. You know, he enjoys um, trying to do that and so he, he just wrote this letter and it, and it says um you know hey bronson he said last time we were together you know we talked about songwriting typewriters and lucky pens etc he said i had meant to give you this at the end of the night and now i'm afforded another opportunity he said i got this one at the hotel santa monica many years ago this otherwise fairly ordinary writing utensil and i'm passing this one on to you i've written a lot of good songs with it and i know it's got some juju some good juju still left in it and um, your fr that's, your friend Ed and um, that's not the first time I've heard this story. Look at the hair standing crazy, up man. on my arms, I know. man. And I thought I thought I misplaced. I mean, I keep that pen around like it's my World Series ring. I know where it is at all times. And I I thought I misplaced it literally like a week ago, and I had to wait three days because I knew where I was last. And I got to my car; it was sitting there in the floorboard. Um, when I got back to my car in Florida the other day, but uh, you know that was that was super special. But he, you know, he's 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 given me these things, and and I said to him one time, like, man, like, don't give me anything else, you know, because I almost feel bad because he's been so gracious, you know. But I, I, um, like I said, if I never if I never was around him ever again, the music would would be enough, you know, just in itself. And what he's being the guy that he has been since I've met him has been absolutely fantastic. And you know, I hope they go on. To, I've asked him, and he said he's going to try and play, you know, deep into their in their 60s and 70s. So I'm, I'm hoping that he lasts as long as Springsteen and I get an opportunity to see another 30 or 40 shows. Wow. Now, have you tried to write with that pen as far as writing lyrics? With? With the, the pen that he gave you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're Does right. it have any juju I in it? I don't know if it has any juju <laughs> in it. You know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, like a, like a mid-range golfer. It's like, you're not really sure if the ball has any juju in it because you're not really that, that good. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I'm going to write a record and I think I'm going to be happy with the way it sounds. I've already got a handful of songs that I'm really pumped about, right. but you know, you're, you're talking about one of the greatest rock records of all time. You're talking about yeah. one of the greatest writers in rock. And history. he gave you a pen that he's written those songs with. That's crazy. I know.
And so I don't think I'm ever going to live, you know, I'm not going to live up to that. It's like, it'd be, it'd be like, you yeah. know, it'd be like asking him to go out and freaking right. touch my baseball career. Like it's not going to happen. But, but the great thing is that, that I, I'm, I get an opportunity to, to touch enough of that world and, and to just to get on stage and to play Pearl Jam music for me is fantastic. If I can do that every night, it's the only thing that worries me, honestly, is it's hard sometimes to do 12, 13, 14 Pearl Jam songs in a row because they're so vicious on the vocal yeah. that a lot of times if you just sprinkle them in, it makes it a little bit easier, which we we normally do. But how he does three hours and his, his voice, he seems to get better as we go along here. I, I, li- I listen to the stuff from the early nineties yes. and then you listen now. I know. Um, it sounds richer. It's it incredible. Sounds I think part of it is that they're, they're, they're recording them better now than they did yeah. back in the day. They record every show and the, the Pearl jam, you know, 22 on Sirius XM. I just wear, yeah, it, out. wear it out. I know. <laughs> Cause it's all it's live like, it's stuff. It's like not yeah. a song you haven't heard now. Uh, it's like yeah, you go through it. But. It's crazy. Yeah, he seems to be getting better, and you know, he. I, I was with him in in, uh, in Montana last year at the end of a show, and we're in in there having a conversation, and somebody brought in three discs that were the size of just a little SD card you'd put in your camera, and uh, it had all the video and the audio from the shows on those three discs. And I said, what, what are you going to do with those? And he said, I, I have to watch the whole thing back and tell the cameramen where they messed up and exactly where I want things to be. And I oh, said, wow. you're still thinking about every show and that type of detail? And he said, yes. Well, he's, a, he's really thoughtful in that way. Just writing that letter to you and the way that he put it um, yeah, just, otherwise fairly ordinary writing exactly. utensil. I know it's. Ridiculous. I mean, that's like a song lyric right there. Right. And otherwise, you in fact you ought to write a song called <laughs> "Otherwise Fairly Ordinary yes. Writing Utensil." <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, you know, like elderly woman behind right. a small counter or behind a counter right. in a small town. It's right. just weird titles and lyrics but yeah i never just... forget the very first time i was with him i have it in my guitar case it's a white piece of paper because i was asking him about how he records just you know when he's sitting in a hotel room and stuff and we started talking about writing and stuff and 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 uh he wrote down the word exonerate and he said what does that make you think of and i said freed of a crime and he wrote down freed of a crime and then just underneath it he wrote it also could be a love story gone bad Wow. And I thought, man, that's the total flip side of the coin. I would, yeah. I would never think of that. That's the way he ever. thinks. It's... But he, he, yeah, he sees it from the other side of the coin. One time yeah. I was in Boston, I played four for Peter Gammon, Theo Epstein's Hot Stove mm-hmm. Cool Music. We did a Pearl Jam set, four songs. And at the end of it, Theo texted him and said, Arroyo just did a Pearl Jam set you'd be proud of. And his answer was, I'm showing teeth at the news. Which is like, who would say that for smiling? Like, yeah. I would never That's think not a in a smiley emoji. That's no. In a million years, those yeah. words would never come to my brain. I'm yeah. showing teeth at the news, right? And it's it's uh it's the way that his his mind operates, which is so beautiful, and it's something that. You know, obviously, if it was if it was replicable, then then he, they wouldn't be special, and that's right. you know that's why it's so hard to do. Didn't you say? Um, I'm trying to remember. You you said a phrase to him. Um, Toe the slab. Didn't you say that to him? And yeah. he wrote it in his songbook. He's yeah. like, oh, I like that. That was the first time we were together. Yeah. And I, that same day that he had written Exonerate uh, on the paper, I, we were just talking about pitching. And I said, I only get to toe the slab 32 times a year. And he said, toe the slab. He said, oh, I hadn't heard that before. And he took out his book and he wrote down toe the slab and put a line next to it. And, uh, you know, I, I was assumed that he, you know, all the great writers you usually hear that they pick up little stuff and they always yeah. write it down. Right. Oh, I'm waiting for a Pearl Jam song to come out or his solo <laughs> stuff with Toe the Slab. Toe the Slab. I'll be like, I'll be all crazy. <laughs> uh, wrapping up, you, you play with the full band, though, at Fenway Park. Yes, with the full band. I mean, that's even beyond crazy to me. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, that was a perfect storm. It was like Fenway Park with the whole band playing my favorite song of all time, Looking out at Fenway, packed place where I won a World Series, I can see the the tarp on the mound, and it's glowing off the moonlight. 
And then, you know, two-thirds of the way through the song, Eddie slows it down and stretches this thing out to eight minutes, gets everybody to put their lights on, say, you know, show, why don't you show Bronson how special it can be up here on the stage because he's got one shot. He's got one shot at this. Oh, why don't you show him? And then, and then we didn't talk about singing the backup vocals, and he does the low harmony, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and I'm doing the high one, and we're just bouncing back and forth with the band just kind of vamping and McCready See, just playing a lead. It was like, oh. and that stuff. that That's a copyright. I can't, I wish we could play that right now, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Or the, the version of Black that you played with him, uh, acoustic. Yeah, uh, one, one of my, one of my, uh, so you know, so. every now and again, you get you get you get a moment in your life where you're just like, wow, this is. And I probably had more than than my share of them, but oh. I was riding in the car in Naples, Florida, just two weeks ago. I'm driving down the road, I'm listening to Channel 22 Pearl Jam Radio, yeah. and, and comes on freaking Fenway Park Black in quotations with Bronson Arroyo, and uh, to listen to listen to yourself, yeah, to listen to yourself yeah, on on to... XM Radio, singing the backup vocals, and you can hear the acoustic guitar a little bit in the background. Pretty cool. Wow. I mean, how many times have we look as music lovers, you look down at what's playing and the artist that's playing, and you're listed there, Pearl Jam, Fenway Park with Bronson Arroyo. I mean, you know, take me now, Lord. Yeah, it doesn't, exactly. It doesn't get much better than that, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. That is uh, that is outstanding. Well, you've always been so gracious with your time with fans. You were a fan favorite for a reason. Not only did you perform on the field, but off it. And, uh, man, uh, just so happy that, you're happy. I can't imagine you ever being unhappy, but uh, you've been a pleasure. When people ask me who are my favorite people to, to cover, I mean, there's – you had mentioned Casey's one of them. You're on that list. I mean, it's a very, very short list of guys that look you in the eye and be real about it and give you an honest answer, and, man, you've been a pleasure. Right. Well, are you going gonna to get Casey on the show? You know, I he's on the list for sure. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that one, dude. You bring in your, I know. Brother – Oh, he's freaking! I love the WWF freaking yeah. stuff he gives you, man. Oh, oh it's I'm the cream of the crop. He's got all the he's got all the antics. He does. He, he, I can't believe he hasn't been on a WWE show that that was in Cincinnati ever. I know, I know. Well, he's good friends with John Cena, who's oh, okay. one of the big wrestlers. Well, that's right, because John yeah. is from around Pittsburgh. I think. Yeah, um, really good friends. He he does go to a show a lot, and we actually share the, the love of wrestling. And I, I went to that's you right. with we Monday went, Night we, Raw. That's right, Monday Night Raw with my, was my hometown. That's right. I worked at a cappuccino shop for uh, who now Bray Wyatt was an eight yeah. year old kid at the time. Just. I was working for his parents. Well, that's his wrestling name, Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt you knew him right. as just a little punk that's kid. That's right. right. I know him. I know him as uh, Little Rotunda, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, that no, that was actually you got us backstage to Raw. I was like a little kid in a candy store. That was uh, that was an awesome night. That was a good night. And Scooter, I forgot Scooter about Jeanette, that. Sco we went with Scooter. Scooter had a couple of pops, and he was starting to talk some trash, and he was about to get dumped in a garbage can by some of these guys. Well, he was trying to. Someone had bet him, Cozart or someone, bet him that he wouldn't take a chair shot from one of the wrestlers. He gave it. Remember, and oh, that's Scooter right. was that's a right. asking the wrestlers. He's asking if they'd crack one across his head. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I never forget. And 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 uh, Stro well, Strowman. What is uh, Braun Bron Strowman, Bron who Strowman, is a right. massive human being? Yes. He's literally like six, like nine, six yeah. ten, like three hundred thirty pounds. Yeah. He looked he looks like Andre the Giant, right? And freaking, we, he was just about to get in the shower, and Scooter told him, "He, you ain't so big." Yeah. <laughs> and he looked at Scooter and said, "You ain't big at all, son." Yeah. And <laughs> trying classic. to, and those guys were like, "No, taking a chair shot is not fun. You don't want to take a chair shot. That's no, right. I'm not going to do it." The wrestlers right. had, had wanted no parts. Like, yeah, but they're they bet me they're going to give me a thousand dollars. Cozart's going to give me a thousand dollars if I do this. I'm like, Oh, you make enough money, but that that was, that was uh, a good night. That was a very, very, very fun night. Have you thought about that, by the way? The Reds Hall of Fame? Yeah. 
I thought about it just a little bit, you know. I think. Uh, oh, you're in. Yeah, no, I I know, but I've I've thought about. I'm assuming I'll get in, but I. I I haven't thought that much about it, but you know, going to quite a few of those, obviously over the years, the team is uh, they twist your arm a little bit to go to the, the Hall of Fame thing and sit there for the dinner, and watching that, it kind of always goes in the same format or whatever, and you're trying to think about how you're going to make it a little bit unique. You know, I'm 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 uh, whenever that time comes, hopefully there's enough planning time I can think about making it, maybe bring a little music to the act or just you know, I I sometimes it can be a little monotonous listening to people talk. Um, no matter who it is. People experience that with me on a nightly basis. <laughs> yeah, I think they enjoy you, Jim. I don't know. I got I to gotta say, honestly, I mean, there's something, there's something, you know, people always say, oh, Bronson, why don't you do TV? Why don't you do radio? Man, you'd be great at it. But there's, there's two qualities I, I find with what you guys do. One is the tone in your voice, right? I think that there, there are certain people who have a tone in their voice that can be very pleasing to listen to. And maybe that gets built in if you listen to someone long enough mm-hmm. possibly but the other thing you know it's just it's it's not easy to sit up there and and be creative the way you guys are every night you know and and maybe we tend to think we could do it and or people don't give you guys as much credit as you but you listen to a game man and you know i listen to you or you listen to you're and you're just figuring out your craft even in that way but you listen yeah. to for me like a tom brenneman you know they have a very elegant way of kind of laying out how things go um and it, it becomes part of what you uh, you know what you feel in your living room because mm-hmm. you're usually at least i do i'm watching the game and and it becomes part of that and you guys are like rock stars out there man for real wow i'm far from a rock star tom <laughs> brenneman though pally rock star all the way we got a tom brenneman mention in there pal listen bronson royal big liquor big liquor <laughs> hey you thought about doing impressions on your show oh uh, they'd get me in trouble oh they'd man get me in trouble i have a few but i'll that Tom isn't that good. I can't get his voice inflection down. But the things he says, though, pal, listen, pal, really, really. <laughs> oh, man, i got to get my boy. If my man Jim Brewer, the comedian, comes oh. to Cincinnati, I'll have to ask him. You friends with in. Jim Brewer? Yeah, oh, over the years. He, he was, I actually listened to his podcast. He's got – He's. Uh, oh, does he have his own? Oh, yeah, he's got oh, his he own. Oh, he does. I, um, I, I saw him Funny once. guy. I love when he does the metal impressions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love – his Brian Johnson is off the – charts yeah and he, he's opening up now i, ju- I just missed him and since i was supposed to be there on the yeah. 30th and my schedule got a little messed up but yeah. he's doing the open up for metallica and doing the vip tent and he's doing a, a set i think every night in the vip tent that which is, pretty is cool. i mean he the, he does uh rob halford and uh i mean he does all these guys vince neal yep, and yep. It, it's just fantastic he's a funny funny guy all right, man, I won't keep you any longer. I really appreciate it. Hopefully down the road maybe we'll do this again sometime and uh, so many other things I could talk to you about, but uh, we will wrap it up. You the man, as All always. All right, we'll see if we can deliver you a little jingle. Please do. Let, yeah, let's end on that little Jim Day podcast jingle. Yeah, we'll look right. for that in the future. I'm going to hold you to this. You're going to get texts like, dude, you got anything yet? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to figure it out. I right, appreciate it. Yes, I love me some Bronson Arroyo. And what a charmed life he has lived and continues to live. And we thank him for his time. A couple of hours of his life he'll never get back. But documented right here on the Jim Day podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll talk to Mr. Perfect Tom Browning. Jared Hughes is on the list. We have a couple more episodes to do with Marty Brenneman. In fact, in his swan song season, Marty's probably going to be a guest uh, a few more times throughout the season because we're going to strike while that you know we're going to strike while it's hot while we got him. 
Um, so one of them, we, uh, again, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but I sat him down and we, I played some of his great calls to the years and I got his reaction to that. So we look forward to that in the coming weeks. And who knows, we've got feelers out to a lot of people and a lot of much bigger names than me, but we hope to land those people. So you never know who's going to show up on the Jim Day podcast. So stay tuned. We hope you subscribe. Again, pass the word. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at JimDayTV. Follow along on MLB.com, Reds.com. And folks, thank you for clicking on this bad boy right here. Till next time on the Jim Day Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.